My name is John. Uh, whether you're joining us uh, here at the Rochester campus, uh, at Webster, or online, uh, welcome home. Um, maybe you're with me on this. I think that there's basically two kinds of people in this world. Those who like the world divided into two kinds of people, and those who don't. There's a million things to be divided over today, and it seems like everybody and everything wants us divided in one way or another. And I'm not just talking about over politics or beliefs or issues. I'm talking about like really, really important lines. Like, how about iOS or Android? <laughs> I just got forced by my work a few months ago, begrudgingly, to go from Android to iOS. And can I just say that all you Apple fanboys out there who've been telling me for years about how good that experience is, I think just must not have used Android before or something? Like, it's, there's like no contest. Uh, perhaps there's no bigger issue of our day than this right here. Right? It wasn't wasn't uh, that long ago that we were like fighting each other in the aisles of the stores over the last roll of this. Right? But as long as this role has existed, there's been an argument over when you go and put it on the holder, does it go on like this? Or like this? This is shameful, people, okay? Um, but we can still be friends if you do this. I'm, I've heard cat people do this for reasons, and I, I don't understand why people have cats either, but... As long as you actually put a roll on the holder when you take the end of it, you don't just leave the little cardboard tube or like two squares on there. Okay, there's a word for that. If you do that, okay, that's domestic terrorism. That is what that is, all right? You know what, though? Uh, can you just put that back in the men's room for me? I think there was a, yeah. We're not talking about toilet paper here this morning, I promise. Uh, I said earlier, my name's John, and I am one of the lay elders on our oversight team here. Uh, that's a funny way of saying, uh, I don't work here at the church, uh, you're welcome. I have like a nine to five job uh, out there uh, at a company like many of you do, but I do get to serve on uh, our oversight team along with three other lay elders and four of our staff pastors. Um, and the oversight team here is what sets the spiritual direction of the church, um, what uh, oversees the ministry, makes sure we remain faithful uh, to God's word and to um, our purpose, our mission here in the gospel. Um, so if you're a guest with us this morning, we're super glad you're here, and we're continuing in uh, the series we've been going through this summer on the Sermon on the Mount. This is a message that Jesus gives, uh, giving a group of his followers that uh, have gathered to hear him, and we're going to be looking this morning, continuing the story in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or, or a device to, to look that up, you can join us there. Uh, and the notes for uh, the talk this morning are in our Northridge Church app. You can find them in the app uh, for today's notes. So Jesus uh, is addressing his followers, um, and he's, throughout this message, been proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom uh, is clear, though, is not what anybody was expecting when they pictured a kingdom. It's very upside down. And he begins describing two very different kinds of people in this world those who are part of his kingdom, and those who are not. And again, not necessarily who we might expect. In his kingdom, the rich, the noble, even the very religious are, are not the ones who he's elevating. And no, his kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit, and the persecuted, and blessed are the mourners, the meek, 
the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because it's out of reach for them. But then uh, he tells us that the bar to enter his kingdom is impossibly high. He says, see those Pharisees, those really religious, righteous people? You got to do better than them. I want you to be perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. It feels pretty overwhelming. Uh, But then he begins to paint this picture clearer of how he wants the people of his kingdom uh, to be. Not outwardly religious, but inwardly selfless, humble. Being a part of God's kingdom, he says, can be boiled down to just one thing, the golden rule, do to others as you'd have them do to you. If we seek his kingdom, he says, we'll find it. If we knock, the door will be opened. He makes it seem as though entering his kingdom and and becoming like one of these people he's describing isn't something we've got to figure out for ourselves. It's something we only have to ask for and seek and something he does for us. So his kingdom's starting to seem accessible to us now. And maybe you can have some confidence here that some point in your life that you have asked to be part of his kingdom. You do seek him. You do treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. And your life shows all that. Then Jesus is saying you're part of his kingdom. This is the, the people he's gathering together to follow him. But just when we thought we had this kingdom figured out, We're going to be continuing in Matthew 7 today, starting at verse 13. And Jesus is going to stop us dead in our tracks with a pretty strong word of warning. Enter through the narrow gate, he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Hang on, hang on, Jesus. I'm still kind of hanging on that whoever seeks finds thing, you know, from a few verses ago. Uh, what is this deal here uh, that, that narrow is the road to life and few find it and broad is the road to destruction and many enter through it? All right, church, this should make us pretty concerned and, and really very heartbroken. Jesus just said that there's a lot more people who are not going to find the narrow way to life than there are those who will. And maybe we need to pause for a second and think about that reality. Was, were you expecting Jesus to proclaim that reality? Is that kind of reality even on the table for whatever version of Jesus you've curated in your minds? And it begs the question, as you consider your life, uh, as you describe yourself, uh, are the groups that you fit into, that you identify yourself with, uh, that have the same values as you and are going in the same direction as you, are those groups popular or well-populated? I think, if so, we should all get a little sweaty here. And the reality is, based on what Jesus just said, that the majority of people, right, those on the, the popular and well-traveled roads in this world are on a path that heads for destruction. The majority of Americans, the majority of Democrats, the majority of Republicans, and the majority of people who call themselves Christian, and folks, maybe even the majority of you could well be on a road that Jesus says heads for destruction. Now, 
stop, look, this is not a, you know, ha ha, I'm on the right path, you're on the wrong path kind of situation, right? Jesus spent the beginning of his sermon absolutely shredding the obnoxious religious people who took just that kind of an attitude towards those around him. No, this isn't what Jesus wants to happen. This isn't his decree. And he says later that the Father's will is that none should perish. And this is Jesus describing the state of things, calling it like he sees. This is his warning to us. He says that being his disciple, truly following him, means we're going to be swimming upstream, right? going against the crowd. We can't go with the flow in this life. Right? Because most of the world is caught up in a current, he says, is headed downstream for a waterfall. And he's saying, watch out, you're headed for destruction. Change course. When we're in this stream, when we're in this current with a crowd, sometimes it's hard to even notice that it's there, that we're moving, that we're moving away from him. But maybe you do notice it. And maybe you're like, forget that. These are my people. You know, I'm on a water park ride here, right? This is great, I'm kicking back. I'm on a lazy river, right? You know, we went to Seabreeze last weekend, my family, uh, and the lazy river is like the one thing that for sure we're gonna do every time we go there. Um, I've got four little girls, uh, eight down to two, and that's something that all of us can do together as a family, all six of us. We're in there in the rafts, little two-year-olds on my lap, and, you know, going, getting splashed, getting sprinkled on by that little, you know, mushroom waterfall they got going there. Just a blast. We love it. And uh, we went around like two, three times, you know, favorite thing to do. That's my kind of amusement park ride, honestly. Uh, <laughs> But a lazy river is a fun way to spend an afternoon at Seabreeze, but it's a pretty terrible way to live your life, Jesus is saying. Because if we're drifting through this life and we don't have our eyes fixed on Jesus, on the truth of who he is and the truth of his word, it's hard to even notice that we're moving at all and moving away from him. And he's saying that the wide and well-beaten paths of this world lead to destruction. So at this point, maybe you're thinking, okay, Jesus, you've got my attention here. Um, I'm interested in the road to life. What is it? What's this narrow gate and how exactly do I enter it? Well, you wouldn't be the first person to ask that question. Later in Jesus' ministry, as he's preparing himself and his disciples for his death, he says this to them in John 14. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is the narrow path to life. If we seek, we find, and what do we find? Him, Jesus. That the path isn't narrow because it's hard to find or hard to walk. The path is narrow because it's focused, it's exclusive, it's Jesus, it's only Jesus. At the wide path, that's the hard path, that's the try harder, do better path that everyone's on in one way or another, uh, trying to uh, tip right, the, the balance, the scales, to make sure I'm good enough to enter his kingdom. But the trouble is, how do I know how good is good enough? And Jesus said at the beginning that there is no good enough. 
And that's why he wants us to follow him down the narrow path so he can give us rest from that kind of a life. In Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's telling us. Down either path, though, God is faithful to give everyone what they really want. To those who do not want a relationship with him, who do not seek him, he gives an eternity without him. To those who do seek him, he grants eternal life with which to enjoy him. And faith in Jesus is the only way to that eternal life. And Jesus has used pretty alarming language here. And he's going to continue. Right? He's making sure that everyone is paying attention, that all eyes are on him. Because as he goes around teaching and proclaiming the message of the coming of the kingdom of heaven, he's fulfilling prophecy, performing miracles, right at the crescendo of his ministry and life, he does what no one expected the long-anticipated king, the Messiah, to do. He dies. And he died ugly. But he didn't stay dead. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. And we can let the Apostle Paul tell it to us uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. By this gospel, good news, you are saved. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living at the time Paul writes this letter though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul writes. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And it wasn't the dying part. Dying's easy. I could absolutely die for my sins. That's what I deserve. No, it's the whole coming back from the dead part that really stands out here, right? Jesus rose from the dead. And that's not just a thing we say. That's just not a line in a song. That's a thing that happened, and there were hundreds of witnesses to it. And if that didn't happen, we would not be here today. I would have slept in this morning. Right? Jesus rose from the dead. If I die for my sins, that's justice. That's what I deserve. But if I let Jesus die for my sins, then somehow on the other side of that, he and I both come out of that together alive. And the only thing that stayed dead in that was my sin. Right, Jesus, uh, Paul talks about this ludicrous prisoner exchange okay, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. That God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin and we get his righteousness, right? That's insane. Who would make a deal like that? And who wouldn't take a deal like that? Right, but maybe you're saying, okay, I'm ready for this deal, but what is the narrow gate exactly and how precisely do I enter it? 
For the past few years, I've gotten to be part of our starting point environment here at the Rochester campus. And a shout out to my starting point folks who are in there uh, with us right now. But the um, one thing I've picked up there uh, over the years is a, a nice simple way to remember uh, and understand what this process looks like uh, and, and how it goes. Uh, the narrow path to life we can remember as A, B, C. A is admit that you are a sinner. A sinner is someone who needs a savior. Right, this shouldn't be uh, really a tough sell, I think, for a lot of us. Okay, do we really need to be convinced uh, that I'm a sinner, right, that I've done things in my life that are harmful to people around me and harmful to myself? That's the one thing, right, we've all got in common. We've got to admit that. And B, believe that Jesus paid for your sins that he was God's son, that he came to earth as a man, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. And in that, he paid the price on the cross for my sins and yours, if you believe that. And C, commit to living your life for him, to obeying him, to following him, uh, to trusting that whatever he wants for your life is ultimately more fulfilling Ultimately, more, it will make you more happy than whatever fleeting pleasures uh, we seek in this life. So if you're wondering what path you're on, uh, how to find the narrow gate, what all this means, uh, I've confused you, uh, you've got questions about any of this, I'd say come join us at Starting Point some morning. You can go right now to iwant.info from any device and click on Next Steps uh, to get connected with a Starting Point uh, group at uh, whatever campus you attend, Webster, Rochester Online. You know, and one of the things I really love about uh, being here in Northridge um, is that three of us uh, on the oversight team, three of the four lay elders, we're born here at this church spiritually. Myself, as a young child growing up, I placed my faith in Christ, uh, but two of our other um, lay elders came to faith here as adults, walked in the door one day wondering who Jesus was and what this was all about, maybe got dragged and came to our starting point class. And 16 years later, you know, they are elders. God has done amazing work in their lives and, and in the life of this church through them. Yeah, let's clap for that. So come to starting point, okay? Stick around long enough, and you might be an elder, you might be up here speaking one day, all right? Give it a shot. But Jesus has spent a lot of his message so far describing how he wants the people of his kingdom to live and how it's very different from the religious elite in his crowd that he calls hypocrites. They make a big show about living for God, but they're really making a show about <laughs> and living their lives for themselves. As we keep reading in Matthew 7, he's going to warn us about some of the most dangerous examples of people like this, and they're dangerous to us because one way to wind up on the wide path is to have gotten there by being led astray. And he's going to give us uh, the key to really telling these dangerous kinds of people apart from his true followers. So let's keep reading in Matthew 7, uh, starting at 15, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Well, let's start with that word prophet. Um, that might be throwing some of us off. When we think of a prophet today, we think of someone telling us the future. Right, the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Okay? That, that could be prophecy. Um, good a chance as any this year that it's a true one. I wouldn't necessarily go getting it tattooed just yet. Um, it is the Bills. Uh, so that's not what we're talking about uh, with a prophet here. A prophet of God is not someone who says, thus says the future. A prophet of God is someone who says, thus says the Lord. It's someone who claims to have truth from God. And so I think we can think of today as a false prophet. It would include someone who's calling themselves a teacher or a preacher, but isn't teaching something, a message that has its basis firmly rooted in Scripture. Jesus says these people are ferocious wolves who come dressed as sheep, and from the outside they look like genuine members of the flock. But inside they're dangerous, he says. They're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire, and if we're not careful, they might take us with them. He's warning us. So uh, who or what are the sources of spiritual truth in your life that you listen to, that you let influence you, that you trust, that you believe? How do you know if they're any good? Are they faithfully communicating the word of God, or are they false prophets? Right? Uh, the first way to evaluate them is kind of implied here. That if someone's teaching you a message that's firmly rooted and faithfully taught from uh, the Word of God, from the Bible, uh, in context with understanding and keeping with all of God's story revealed through Scripture, then they're not uh, some sort of a false prophet and bringing us something new from God. They're uh, faithful teachers of God's Word already revealed in Scripture. And so I think the first way we can evaluate a teacher or leader um, is by checking their teaching against the Bible. That especially, well that implies first uh, that we need to know what's in the Bible. We need to be familiar enough with God's word and his voice and his character uh, that when we hear something that's counter to it, it stands out and we catch it. We all have the ability and even the obligation to be checking any teaching that we're hearing against God's word for ourselves, right? That especially goes for anyone listening to me today, all right? I'm an electrical engineer, okay? And I didn't even go to MIT like Brad did, all right? I went to RIT. You get, yeah. You get, go Tigers, you get two of the three same letters at like half the price, all right? <laughs> Phenomenal deal. Definitely not a Bible college though. Okay, the other way, which Jesus says that we must evaluate a teacher or leader, what he's stressing here is that we must look to fruit in their lives. He's not saying we need to go sneak into people's backyards and check on their apple trees, right? He's saying, he, talking about the fruit that comes out of someone's life that only a relationship with God can produce. Uh, Paul would talk about this fruit later in the letter to the Galatians, uh, calling it the fruit of the Spirit. And we had a uh, sermon series on this last summer um, that you could go back and listen to called Marked By about what a follower of Christ over time should be marked by. And we can uh, see this list um, that Paul gives us in Galatians 5, 22 uh, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what a follower over Christ should begin to show in their life as evidence that they are already part of God's kingdom and God's spirit is at work in them. And Jesus is saying, make sure that the people that you're following and listening to show this kind of fruit in their lives. So how do we evaluate a teacher? By checking their lives for good fruit. Evaluating their character. Think about the voices that you turn to, that you listen to for truth. Are they showing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you close enough to them to even tell? But how about the other followers they're producing? Are those followers showing and producing fruit of the Spirit in their lives? Because notice what he doesn't tell us right, to look to to evaluate a leader. How big of a crowd they draw, how they're dressed, what famous people they're friends with. And it's not hard to think of many examples in recent years of prominent Christian leaders right, whose lives and ministries were undone when the truth about their character became known. Because in Galatians 5, Paul also gives a list of what the outworkings of the flesh are, he calls and the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes the things in that list are hard to see from a distance. But sometimes they're not. There's a lot of people out there who invoke the name of Christ, but their selfish ambition is plain to see. They're not glorifying Jesus, they're glorifying themselves. And their hatred and jealousy, rage, factions, envy, discord, right? That's half of what folks out there are preaching. Jesus is saying, don't follow someone like that. Don't listen to them. Follow someone whose teaching points to Jesus as our only hope and whose life points to Jesus as our only example for how to live. And what about you, Christ follower? Right? We shouldn't just be looking to fruit in the lives of our leaders. This is exactly how we should be checking our own lives as well. Remember that whole speck, plank eye thing from a couple weeks ago, right? Right? This is how we evaluate our own lives, and if you're sitting here nervous today, wondering, man, I remember placing my faith in Jesus a while ago, but I'm not really sure now if I'm on the narrow path or not. That guy's got me scared. Well, this is how we are told we can have some confidence. And since you've placed your faith in Christ uh, over time, as you've chosen to follow him, do you have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control in your life? Or do you see an uh, increasing number and a, and a greater hold of the acts of the flesh in your life? It's hard to evaluate ourselves honestly sometimes. It might be good to ask some people around you, some believers, uh, maybe your spouse or parents, uh, maybe your small group leader, uh, maybe um, yeah, a close and trusted friend. But let's keep reading uh, in verse 21, Matthew 7, as he begins to cast this net a little wider for us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, show of hands, who wants to face Jesus someday and hear him say, get away from me. I never knew you. All right, but friends, Jesus just said, there are many. And church, maybe that means many of you in the hearing of my voice today who are on a path that leads to exactly that reality. And Jesus just said, though, there are those who will enter his kingdom. Take heart. But who did he say they were? That those who do the will of his Father. And so what is the will of the Father? Jesus said that all the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two commands. The first and greatest, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second, like it, is love others. The golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's it. That's the will of the Father. That's God's will for you. Love God and love others. Are any of us going to keep those two commands uh, perfectly in our lives? Absolutely not. But as we incline our hearts towards God, he inclines our hearts towards other towards others and teaches our hearts to love him and people and serve them even more. But let's look back in Matthew 7:22 and notice who the person is that's not entering the kingdom here. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Right, who's this person he's describing? Right, prophet, exorcist, miracle worker. Right, that could be what, how a bad first century headline uh, might read about Jesus or, or one of his disciples. Right, that's maybe what someone, uh, who someone thinks Jesus is if that person really doesn't understand at all who Jesus is and where he came from, or what his message was, and what he came to do. Yeah, Jesus performed a lot of miracles, drew a lot of crowds, but Jesus didn't come just to perform miracles. No, his miracles were for a purpose, for our belief, not his celebrity. They were meant so that his audience and us today would become believers in him and in his message because he came to solve a much bigger problem for us than being sick or paralyzed that there was a lot of people living uh, around Jesus' ministry at that time uh, who were sick and he didn't heal, who died and he didn't bring back from the dead. Because Jesus came to solve our sin problem, that anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life because sin is the only terminal illness that each and every one of us has. And Jesus is the only cure. For a lot of the crowds, they weren't, they, they were there for the miracles. That was all they cared about. Right? They weren't so much interested in what Jesus actually had to say. And that's not just a back then thing, right? That's a today thing. 
Now you can turn on uh, the TV or, or radio or uh, internet today and find any number of charlatans out there uh, calling themselves pastors and prophets, apostles and more, uh, doing all kinds of stuff that looks impressive and looks like ministry uh, from the outside in the name of Jesus, but is really performance right, with the purpose of making a name for themselves or making a buck for themselves. And the message of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, it's missing or lost in the noise. And this is what Jesus is describing in Matthew 7, 22 and warning us about. And he warns us because it's easy to be led astray. It's easy to deceive ourselves and become deceived by others. So think about this kingdom of heaven that Jesus has been proclaiming and the narrow way uh, through which we enter it by faith, through grace in him alone. Is that, is that the gospel that you believe? Is that what you hang your hope on? Is that the gospel that you are living? Because there's a lot of other gospels out there. Maybe you believe one of these. Maybe you believe in the gospel of no judgment. And a God who says all roads lead to life. No roads lead to destruction. That sure isn't what Jesus says here. And with as much as we all long for justice in this life, do you really want a God who would omit justice in the next? Maybe uh, you're still living the try harder, do better gospel. Walking an endless tightrope, hoping you don't fall off and lose your relationship with God somehow. Are you tired of that life? Are you ready to trust him instead of in yourself and believe that while we were still sinners, while we were broken and helpless, he died for us and did what only he could do for us? Maybe you believe a prosperity gospel uh, that promises a life that doesn't sound a thing like this kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. Are you surprised today to hear that being poor in spirit, mourning, meek, insulted, persecuted, suffering, unrecognized, unrewarded, used, abused, and broke might mean you're actually on the right path? That there's a gospel being peddled around this country and around this world that says following Jesus is the way to health, wealth, and prosperity. Right? Jesus, who was homeless, who died ugly in his 30s, right? broken, beaten, abandoned, and whose disciples were poor, hunted, tortured, and killed. That, that Jesus. Or maybe you're believing one of the many political or social gospels that are out there today. And that's what you've placed your hope and your faith in. You're longing for the next election, the next law, the next court case, or the next movement, instead of longing for the kingdom of heaven and for Christ's return. <laughs> or maybe you're holding so tightly to your rights and the gospel of life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own happiness that you don't even realize you've got your eyes fixed on the flag or sign that's in your front yard instead of on the cross. Yeah, and on Jesus, who gave up his rights as God to come as man, who gave up his life to die on the cross for you and for me, that Jesus. All right, friends, at some point in my life or another, I have believed and lived each and every one of these gospels and more. 
It's so easy to be swept away by life and by teachings, by things we hear, by people, by our own self-deception. Jesus said, the one who seeks finds him. But at the same time, the road to life is narrow and few find it. How can that be? If both of these are true, then that means that it's only very few who truly seek, who truly seek God as he is, as he has revealed himself to us in his creation, in his word, and in his son. It's uh, dangerous to be around false uh, false teaching and false gospels because it's easy to be carried off and to believe in a different version of God who says the things I want him to say and does the things I want him to do, likes the things I want him to like, and hates the people I want him to hate. But when we lean back, you know, in our inner tube, on the lazy river of life, floating along and ponder to ourselves, uh, which truth, which version of God do I prefer? It sounds most right to me. We somehow do it without any sense of the absurdity or the unfathomable arrogance, right, that I, as one of billions of creatures on this one of billions of planets in one of billions of galaxies, right, who's had consciousness for a cosmic hot second, and I can't even multiply two three-digit numbers together in my head, but I'm going to sit here leaning back and trying to decide who the God of the universe is instead of being silent before the God of the universe and listening to who he says he is and who he says I am and what he has done for me. Because broad is the road to that God of my own choosing. But when I'm at the point in life of trying to pick out the God I prefer from a catalog, at the God that I've clearly already chosen is me. So you, will you stay on a path that Jesus says ends in destruction? Or will you hear his warning today, his urgent plea for you to choose him, to choose eternal life? Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And Father God, I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of all of us to hear your word, your voice, and see you revealed to us in your creation, in your word, and in your son who took my sins and many more to death with him on the cross. And I pray that that would be the gospel that all of us would live, would believe that you would give us the easy path instead of trying to labor under the tension to live and find that hope and work out a path to you for ourselves. I pray that you would let us seek you as Savior, admit we're sinners, believe in your sacrifice, and commit our lives to following you. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.